I grew up in a place called Roxbury in Boston. It's inner city, kind of tough area to grow up. I was able to make it out of there despite the odds, really through education. I graduated from Amherst in 2004 with a degree in sociology. Have I ever used my degree? No, but I used my (laughs) Cutco skills, right? Skills for life. Literally, the skills I learned from Vector and Cutco have served me more than a lot of the stuff I learned in the classroom at Amherst College. Several times, I've raised myself from failure back to success over my career. What I've realized is that you constantly have to be learning and growing. If you're not learning and sharpening your knowledge and your skills, your skills are going to go backwards. First steps is getting educated. So finding someone who's done what you want to do and learning from them and then taking action. That's a piece of the inspiring story of Dedrick Polite. From an early age, education was his way up in life. From his Cutco Vector experience, he learned about sales and developed a passion for entrepreneurship. Throughout his career, he has lifted himself up through learning. Now, as a successful real estate investor, Dedrick and his wife, Crystal, are teaching others by sharing their journey as they strive for higher and higher levels of success for their family. I know you'll enjoy getting to know this smart and personable entrepreneur, Dedrick Polite. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm very excited to introduce to you today, Mr. Dedrick Polite. Dedrick worked with Cutco back starting in the summer of 2002. He worked for a few summers during college. He grew up in Boston, went to Amherst College. And when he graduated from college, he got into pharmaceutical sales. We'll talk a little bit about his path today, which ultimately led him into real estate investing, where he is highly successful, has a lot of things going on that we're going to be able to hear about today. And I'm really excited to be able to introduce him to you and share his success story. So Dedrick, thanks so much for making time for the podcast today. Dan, thank you. Thanks for having me. Outstanding. Let's hear a little bit about you, man. I want the uh, Cutco Vector audience to get to know a little about you and starting with your personal background. So why don't you jump in on that first? Sure, sure. So I'm from South Carolina originally. Grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, though. Uh, huge Boston sports fan, by the way. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> but uh, no, I grew up in a place called Roxbury in Boston. Uh, that's where New Edition's from. A lot of people know know that area. It's inner city, kind of tough area to grow up. The neighborhood I grew up in was plagued by drugs and gangs and violence. And 
I was able to make it out of there um, despite the odds, you know, really through education. I was raised by a single mom. My mom was on Section 8. We had food stamps, public assistance. You know, mm. she worked as hard as she could to raise three sons. I was the oldest of three. And I was blessed to, to get accepted to a private high school, a very exclusive private school where I had earned a full scholarship there. And that really opened up a whole new world for me. So it was like, you know, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Finding Forrester with Sean Connery, but that was literally like my story of Finding Forrester, going to that school, opened up the doors to going into Amherst College, which again, I earned a full academic scholarship there. And I was really, again, education, which helped me rise above the environment that I grew up in. Wow. So were you in, you were in public schools up till eighth grade? Yes. Uh, public schools, Boston public schools up until sixth grade. And then I kind of got plucked out of there from my testing and my, you know, my academic ability. And I was um, tapped to go into private school and again on the full scholarship. Awesome. Awesome. It's cool to hear uh, a story like that of, you know, overcoming some of the odds, I guess you could say, of how a lot of other inner city kids, uh, you know, what they experience and how things often turn out. Uh, it's great to hear that uh, you were able to excel as a student and that that was your gateway to bigger and better things in life. Tell us a little bit about the influence of your mom in those early days as a kid. Oh, man. My mom, she was everything. She actually, she, she was a teenage mom. She had me. She was 17. But we always had a support system. Her parents, who are from South Carolina, they were always there. I had four aunts. But, I mean, she was the biggest influence on me. She sacrificed her future to raise three of my, myself and my two siblings. And, unfortunately, she passed away about a year ago at age 55 from cancer, uh, which is one of the biggest losses I've ever had to deal with. But the lessons that she taught me, you know, have been with me for life. So, yeah, my mom was everything. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool to hear. Thanks for sharing that. I'm interested in just hearing from your perspective as a man of color, how are you viewing the developments of the past few months? Like what experiences that a lot of Black people have shared in the last few months really resonate for you? And, and just, ha- you know, how do you see the future and, uh, and just the evolution of what's going on right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's an interesting time. I think a lot of the systemic um, racism and inequality that's been existing in this country for uh, hundreds of years is really coming to the forefront. And um, people are starting to wake up and realize, you know, what black and brown folks are, have to face in America. With the advent of social media, people are seeing these things firsthand now and seeing how horrible they are and that it's not just black people's responsibility or brown, it's everyone's responsibility when you see some injustice going on to speak up because, you know, who knows, it could be you, or, you know, one of your friends or family uh, next. So I think, again, it's a it's an interesting time to be in. I think a lot of young people are pushing the movement forward. So it's definitely needed. Yeah. Yeah. Just some of the experiences that people had have described and shared. Do you have personal experience and sort of those kinds of things happening in, in your life as you were growing up? Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, growing up as a, a young black male in Roxbury, it was heavily policed neighborhood, you know, was played by by drugs and, and crime. And um, yeah, I remember being stopped and just for, for walking down the street, patted and frisked. I remember my, me and my brother getting pushed up against the wall, searched because, again, you know, of our color, but then also because of the neighborhood we, we lived in. So um, right. as a result of the war on drugs, what was going on with that? And I think the hypocrisy of it is that you know, when you had, uh, you know, marijuana was illegal back then, now it's legal, right? So you got people in California, you know, making millions of dollars selling marijuana 
legally when, you know, for years, people in the black and, and brown community were targeted and arrested and prosecuted for something that's now now legal. Right, right. As you look at what's happened in the last few months, what makes you feel optimistic that anything will be different this time? Man, that's a good question. But do, um, you, feel, do you feel optimistic that anything? Um, I guess I should start with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of day to day. It's, a, it's definitely, again, it's a fight. It's a journey that we're on as a country to live up to the ideals of this country, right? And that are stated in, in the Constitution that all men are created equal. This country hasn't always lived up to it. You know, we have a, a pretty uh, bad record when it comes to black people, you know, how this country has treated black people. But I think, you know, eventually as time goes on, there's not a light switch that's going to switch, but it should keep getting better as long as we keep fighting yeah. for equal justice. Yeah. I have a mastermind group that I've put together here in the Silicon Valley that contains some of the most successful people I've ever met in my life. And one of my key mentors who helped establish the group is African-American. He's an icon in the tech community here in the Silicon Valley, and he knows everyone. And he has introduced me to a number of the other most successful African-American leaders here in uh, you know, in my community here in, in the San Jose, San Francisco area. And so I've had a chance to network and talk to a lot of these really highly influential African-American leaders. And a common theme that they share is that like when all of these issues have come up in the past, it's always the black community that is uh, sharing their frustrations and requesting help in having this social change happen. But they always say that until the white community really gets behind it, it's hard to have it happen. It has to be right all of us right. supporting change. And that in this particular time, particularly in the advent of the George Floyd situation, there's a greater degree of the white community and all communities of all different races and colors and creeds and everything sort of coming together to support that, hey, look, we're all humans and we right. all want to have this, you know, a positive relationships and, you know, a much better environment for everybody. And so there is a lot more widespread support, which could be one of the keys to how and why this time things are a little different and moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think if you're a human being, just, you know, if you see injustice, we all got to take that responsibility to speak out. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong, no matter, you know, what the color is of the person who's doing it. That's how I look at it. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Well, I hope to see that uh, things evolve a little bit differently so that your young children, I know you've got two young boys, so that your young boys don't have to have a lot of the sticks that a lot of other uh, young you know, black children have had over the last uh, few decades and, and longer. So Absolutely. anyway, yeah, that'd be cool. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your time with Cutco, right? Uh, Dedrick, sure. tell us about uh, when you started and, and how that evolved. Yeah. So I started, what was it after my freshman year at Amherst? Again, I'm going to this prestigious Ivy League school. Uh, I was actually on the football team as well. I didn't play much, but I was on the team. But summer break comes and I didn't have a job lined up. So I get home, I'm moping around the house. I get a letter in the mail. And my mom's like, you got this letter from this Vector marketing place. And, <laughs> and I opened it up and it was an interview. So I'm like, I, I got nothing else to do. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to go down to the interview. And when I found out I was selling knives, I'd never done sales. I was kind of like that quiet kid. I was always smart, you know, good in sports, good in school, but I was just quiet. So anyone who knew me like probably thought I would be horrible at sales. And I was. My first two or three weeks with Cutco, my manager, Dave Drennan, who became one of my best friends, 
he actually sat me down after my first three weeks and I'd gone on like eight demos and sold exactly about $18. <laughs> he was, he was ready to fire me. He was literally like, he was like, dude, you're costing me money. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm paying you like this base appointment thing. This isn't going to work out. And like, I kind of got emotional because I, I, I wasn't really, I wasn't giving it a hundred percent. Right. Cause I didn't have confidence. I was like, didn't know if it was going to work. I'm coming from the inner city, the hood, and I'm trying to sell these $800 set. And I didn't think people would buy the things, right? Because of my background, where I came from, I'm like, people can't afford knives like this. Right. But once I started, you know, he was like, listen, I hired you for a reason. Your background, your, your intelligence, I believe in you. He said, I believe in you. And then I was like, okay, if he believes in me, maybe I should start believing in myself. And literally, I went on like, I think, two more demos. And my second demo after that meeting, when he told me he was, he was going to fire me if I didn't you know, start producing, I made a $1,300 sale. Mm. And that's when the light bulb came on $1,300 in one demo, like the biggest natural high I've ever had in my life. And <laughs> from there, I went from last to first place in the office and never relinquished that, that title. Yeah, that's awesome. It's cool to hear that uh, it was a conversation with Dave that uh, helped turn that light bulb on for you that you could believe in yourself and that you actually could do it. So right. Yeah. Tell us some more of your key experiences and lessons from, uh, from your time selling Cutco. Yeah. So in addition to that, just the belief part, learning how to follow a system. Uh, once I started following the system, I went field training, right? And the number one sales rep in the office was a kid named Eric Jacks. And he went to a rival high school, right? From my school. And I remember playing against him in sports. We were like arch enemies in sports. I come to Cutco. Who's the number one guy in the office is this kid, Eric. So I'm like, man, he beat me in basketball. Now he's the number one rep in the office. <laughs> All the cute girls in the office like him. I, I made it my mission to take him down and become number one. So Dave made us go field training. He was like, Eric, I want you to take that field training. I think he, he'll be good once he gets it, but he needs to watch him. So I went from like going and kind of freewheeling my demos to once I saw him do a demo, and this kid literally like read the script. Like he wasn't even looking at the customer. He read line for line the script and he sold a homemaker. I'm like, wow, this, this stuff actually works if you follow the system. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I just did what he did. I read the script to people until I learned it, right? And I started making sales. And eventually I overtook him as the number one rep. And it was like, man, if you follow a proven system, it actually works. Yeah. Exactly. I bet that uh, concept has played out in your life uh, ever since then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so you worked mostly for about three summers during college and, and school breaks? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, it was life changing for me, Dan, because again, my mom, she was a secretary, executive assistant, whatever you want to call it, for many years, supporting executives in Boston. But she never made over like 30, 40,000. Again, we were on food stamps. We were living in Section 8. Uh, she did the best she could. And I remember, you know, getting my first check where I made like two grand in a commission check and I made 8,000 that first summer. And I was able to actually give my mother money like, here, mom, you know, here's to help you out around the house. So, you know, in that summer, I, I knew I wanted to have a career in sales because I'd never made that type of money before. And I was like, man, if I could sell this, I could sell anything. I'm going to do this. Like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I found my calling. Yeah, that's awesome. And you had a chance to work closely with and be influenced by Ryan Trembler. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan was our division manager. He was awesome. Got to learn from him. He was always funny. I mean, he was a guy who could make you laugh, but also he was a master salesman and a master coach. So, um, yeah, a ton of credit to him as well. 
Yeah, he's at this point now, 15 years later after you've left, uh, he's still here, of course, running the division, and he's one of the all-time legends yeah. uh, in the company. So Hall of Famer and definitely one of the most respected leaders in the company. So that's awesome that Absolutely. you had a chance to work with him all those years ago. And, and I like what you, you shared about just the income opportunity and the control of income that you have when you're in sales. A lot of people feel like working in a role where you're paid based on your productivity is a risk. But I always viewed it as, well, I'm betting on myself. The risk is, you know, what am I willing to put in? How good am I willing to get? And if I'm willing to get good at what I'm doing and put in the right effort, I'm going to be able to earn a lot more than what other people can for the same amount of work. That is a risk I will take happily. I want that feeling of control. I don't want somebody else deciding how much I'm going to get paid. Like to me, that's a risk, right? Somebody else telling me what I can get paid? No way. I want (laughs) to determine my own goals and my own income. And, uh, you know, having a chance to experience that in sales was really critical. Right. I think it takes a certain personality type. Again, you and I and other people excel at Cutco. It, like we can't have someone dictating our income. We we need to be able to make uncapped, unlimited income based on our efforts. It seems like it has to be ingrained in your DNA. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you graduated from Amherst in two thousand five. Uh, two thousand four. Right? Graduated from Amherst in two thousand four with a degree Graduate. in sociology. Have okay. I ever used my degree? No, but I use my <laughs> Cutco skills, right? Skills for life. Those sales skills, um, what I learned working for Cutco, I mean, Amherst is considered the number one liberal arts college in the nation, right? It's up there. Kids transfer, transfer from Harvard to go to Amherst. I know many kids have done that. And literally, the skills I learned from Vector and Cutco were, have served me more than a lot of the stuff I learned in the classroom from, at Amherst College. Yeah. Well, it's real life stuff which is why I think it's so important. I'm yeah. sure your Amherst experience was valuable, particularly in the, in the area of like networking with people and the relationships you built and things right. like that, you know, cause you gotta be pretty incredible to go there. But as far as like real life stuff, we all know how valuable the Vector Cutco experience is. And it's awesome that you, that you, that you can share that. So then after you got out of college, you had a choice of what to do. I know that, you know, Ryan would have loved to keep you. Uh, you know, it's part of Vector. <laughs> they were lobbying. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure they were lobbying, and you had other options. And, and uh, tell us about that choice and how you how you ended up uh, evolving into your career path. Yeah, so I was in the branch manager training program. I had an opportunity to open my own branch. I'd also was interviewing for jobs on Wall Street. Right, that was a, a very lucrative potential career, and also pharmaceutical sales. So when I weighed the three options, I think it was a kind of a financial barrier at the time. I didn't really have the money or want to take the risk to open my own office. I saw yeah. how hard my manager worked and how, you know, it was, it's true entrepreneurship. And I was like, man, coming from my background, I'm, I wasn't ready to take that risk at the time. I think I, if I did it, I would have succeeded and, you know, with a lot of hard work. But I was like, okay, I can take one of these jobs either on Wall Street or in pharmaceutical sales, making a great salary and I can earn a bonus on top of that. So you know, ultimately ended up taking a job with a um, company called Novartis out of New Jersey, which is a big pharma company. Yep. So I became a pharmaceutical sales rep in the, in the Boston area. Yeah. And while it's a salaried position, there is that, that degree of being able to control your income through the variable parts of your pay. At least that's what I, my experience and understanding pharmaceutical sales, right, is there's, there is some degree of, uh, of being able to earn more through performing better and certainly advancing faster, right? 
Well, so I thought. So I got into pharmaceuticals 2004 to 2010. I was a pharma rep. And I got in after the golden age of pharmaceutical sales, right? Uh, where you hear the stories of making you know, multiple six figures and going to the Super Bowl and whining and dining doctors and all this stuff. That age was over. Yeah, you know, I made around six figures after a couple of years of doing it, but the regulations are set in. You know, it's kind of a glorified catering job, is really what it, what it was. So yeah, I got in a little bit a little bit late on that train. Ah, uh, got it, got it. So yeah. you were there though for six years in pharma yes. sales. Yep, yep. And did you find your vector experience was related, you know, and to what you were doing almost all the time? Well, vector helped me land the job. Because I did a demo for a gentleman. He was a single gentleman. Uh, I got referred to him. He bought like a essential set from me, but he was a, a manager for a pharma company. So as I'm wrapping up the demo, this is my senior year in, in college, right? It was one of my breaks. I'm selling knives. And he's like, Hey, have you ever heard of pharmaceutical sales? You know, he had a suit and tie, very professional, owned his own house in Boston, had a company car. And I was like, No, I don't even know what that is. So he started telling me about it. And he was like, hey, you know, would you be open to learning about this? I said, yeah. And I asked him to be my mentor. And he actually became my mentor in my senior year high school. And he ended up helping me land the job in, in farm and working for him. So it was yeah. all through Cutco. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's cool to hear. Nice. So how did your career evolve into what you're doing now? So I did farming for about six years up until 2010. Uh, the Great Recession hit. I saw a lot of layoffs happen in, in the industry. Um, I didn't get laid off, but I saw people who had been there 15, 20 years getting escorted out the door, right? The great, you know, the 2008 real estate crash had happened. The economy was gone to, uh, you know what? So before that happened, I was like, I need to start planning my exit, right? So I started looking at other avenues, other sales jobs. I ended up getting a job at a company called HubSpot, which is a software company in Cambridge. They modeled themselves kind of like an East Coast Silicon Valley company. So I, I ended up being like employee number 125 there selling their software. So that was one of the best moves I made to transitioning out of farmer and getting to, to software and technology sales. So I did that for about almost 10 years, actually. You know, I got into real estate in between there. But yeah, that was my transition out of that into software sales. Nice. Nice. And did you ultimately leave software sales to full-time pursue your real estate investing? Yeah. Yeah. So while I'm doing software sales, you know, again, I'm making decent money. I'm on earning commission checks. I work for about three or four companies in between an eight year span. But I mean, I have my successes. And I have my failures, right? I still had, to, still had that base of knowledge I learned from Cutco. But at a certain time, you know, you get in some sales jobs. I don't know if you've worked for other companies, but I failed a few times. I got fired from a couple of companies from, for just non-performance. And I think the reason was is because I stopped working on myself and my sales skills. I stopped polishing and constantly learning and training. And when I did that, my skills eroded. And some of it was a product I was selling, but you always take personal responsibility. So several times I raised myself from failure back to success, back to failure, back to success over my career. It's happened multiple times. And what I've realized now, I'm 38, is that you constantly have to be learning and growing. Right. If you're not learning and sharpening your knowledge and your skills, your skills are going to go backwards. That's a huge point, Dedrick, that I think everybody should really take in because the reality is that the marketplace changes so fast. And anybody right. who is sort of relying on the person they were one year ago, they're going to fall behind, right? They're not keeping up with the pace. I can remember hearing a story of a person who was asking for a promotion and somebody else got this promotion 
and the person said to their boss, you know, how did I not get this promotion? You know, I have eight years of experience. And the boss said, well, no, you have one year of experience eight times. Mm. It's basically like they had stayed the same all through those eight years. They hadn't grown and evolved and become more than they were. And so they didn't get the chance to advance, whereas their competition maybe was around for a, a few years less but had been constantly growing, evolving, changing, having a steep learning curve in life. And that helped that person elevate, right, to a much higher level. So, totally. yeah. So how did you overcome that? Like what made you turn that around and get onto the learning track and, and be able to achieve success? Yeah. So I got fired. I got fired from a job. Again, I wasn't hitting sales quota for like, I think two quarters straight and they canned me. Uh, I had a mortgage. I just bought my first house. I had a mortgage. I had a car note. I was I was scared. I was dating my now wife. We were just dating back then. And, you know, because of the educational background I came from, I tied a lot of my self-worth and my confidence to my job title, my income, right? And when I got fired, all that was shattered. I'm like, I was depressed. (laughs) I was literally walking around depressed. And my girlfriend was like, after a couple of weeks just watching me mope around the house, she was like, she was like, dude. You got to do something. She was like, listen, you didn't lose that job. They lost you. She was like, take some time off. I was burnt out, you know, just from being on the treadmill so long. Take some time off. Figure out what you want to do next. I know you're always talking about starting your own business. I want you to do that now, right? While you have this time off. During that time, I started my own marketing agency because I was selling marketing software. So I started my own marketing agency. I got invited to speak at Harvard's Innovation Lab during that time. I learned to ride a motorcycle. Right, all these things I kind of wanted to do, and I got fired. It was a wake up call for me to kind of reinvent myself. So, yeah, getting fired will do that to you. <laughs> I bet, I bet. And so, tell us about how that sort of evolved into your your uh, real estate business. Yeah. So, what I realized, Dan, is that again, you got to constantly learn, and you're constantly reinventing yourself. Like you said, you don't want to be the same person you were eight years ago, right? Especially in sales. People don't care what you did last year or last quarter or what your records were, right? right. Sales code, they're like, what are you doing for me now, right? right? How much revenue have you brought in today? So one of the reasons I, I always loved real estate, I remember my manager, Dave Drennan, well, I, was, I was making these big checks and he handed me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was 21. He was like, mm. read this book. Because he knew I didn't come from money, right? I came from a low income background. And that was one of the most important things right there is reading that book at age 21. It changed how I look at money. And it opened my eyes to real estate investing. So I was like, okay, I got to start. I got to get this thing called passive income, residual income. I love sales, right? I love the chase. I love the art of the deal. But I don't want to be doing this when I'm 60, when I'm 70. I want to get paid. I want to do something once to get paid over and over and over again for it. So I'm like, okay, why don't I start buying rental houses, rental properties? So that really sparked the interest in real estate. I read books, read books, listened to tapes, went to seminars for years. And I was doing what my wife calls uh, analysis paralysis. I was the king of it because I was comfortable, right? I was making a good salary, still bumping along in my sales career. And I was always talking about real estate. And finally, my wife was like, listen, you've been talking about getting into flipping houses and doing this real estate thing for years. Let's just do it. She's more of the serial entrepreneur. Let's just do it. And literally about three, four years ago, we took some money out of our retirement account and we bet on ourselves and we started investing in real estate. That's cool. That's cool. Where did you start this? So I started, my first investment property was in Boston. 
I was still working a job. I was two or three years into my corporate career and I bought a triplex. It was called house hacking. Yeah. So I bought a three unit. I lived in a garden level basement apartment. I was single, no kids. Right. I rented out the two upstairs apartments and it paid most of my mortgage. Awesome. Right. And then I didn't do anything for several years after that. I just read books and listened to tapes and thought about it. But then after that, again, my wife was like, look, we're going to do this together. We're going to learn how to start flipping houses. So that's when we decided to invest money into hiring a coach, hiring a mentor to literally teach us so we can shorten our learning curve as far as becoming um, real estate investors. Neat. And so then you took this from, from the triplex in Boston onto what, what was next? Yeah, from the triplex in Boston, then we got into wholesaling. So I don't know if you know what wholesaling houses is. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Explain it though. Yeah. So for the audience, if you're not familiar, it's literally finding somebody that's motivated to sell their house. Not someone who wants to sell, but someone who needs to sell fast. They're willing to sacrifice a little bit of money and equity to get a quick cash sale. Getting that property in the contract, right? So let's say, for example, I get in the contract at 200000 The house may need a little work, but once it's fixed up, let's say it'll sell for three hundred. And then once I turn around, get that property in the contract, finding an investor who flips houses and selling them my contract or assigning my contract to them for a fee. Right. So let's say I find Dan and Dan flips houses and say, hey, Dan, I got this house. I'll sell it to you for 210. It's worth 300 fixed up. It only needs about 20 grand in work. And then I would make that $10,000 fee for assigning you the contract. So we started doing that in 2017. We made a bunch of money doing that. And then we took that money and we started investing in rental houses and apartment units. So within a couple of years, we built a portfolio valued at over $3 million. We both were able to leave our corporate jobs because our income, our passive and our active income from real estate investing far exceeds what we were making in corporate America. So now my wife and I are both full-time entrepreneurs. We own our own time. We have time freedom. We have financial freedom. So yeah, it's been a great, great ride. Yeah. And tell us about the scope of your businesses that you have at this point. Yeah. I mean, so we have over 20 uh, rental units that we own and growing. Our goal is to get to 10,000 rental units. This is over the next 10 to 20 years. So we're building a portfolio. We have seven different companies. So we have a, a flipping company where we flip houses. We have a rental company where we hold rentals and that. We have a short-term rental company where we buy houses, fix them up and rent them out on Airbnb, VRBO. We have a property preservation company. We also got into teaching right? Because we started documenting our journey as we were learning and getting into real estate. We started documenting our journey on social media. So when, you, when we'd be at a house, we'd post it, we'd post videos and kind of tutorials just documenting our process. So literally, hmm. there's people who followed us from when we first got in to now, and they've seen our whole process. So And then people reach out to us all the time because we've documented our journey to becoming investors. Now, people reach out to us asking us to mentor and coach them and teach them how to do what we've done. So we started an education company where we literally teach people how to become real estate investors. That is cool. I think a lot of young vector entrepreneurs would be really interested in learning you know, some of the ideas that you have to share in this area because we all want to be able to not just work and get paid for what we're doing today, but to build a portfolio. And like I've done the same as you in terms of being able to build, you know, multi-million dollars worth of real estate holdings that are paying me today. But I'm sure that a lot of uh, our young vector folks would love to be able to learn more about that. First of all, where do they go to find out more from you? Can you tell me that? Sure, sure. So they would go to Be Polite. So my last name is Polite. So B-E, Be Polite Properties on any social media. So YouTube is Be Polite Properties. Instagram, Be Polite Properties. 
We'll put it in the show notes on um, Facebook. So we do a lot of trainings there. And then if you click on the link in my bio, you'll have uh, a link. We'll have a link to the course where you can learn more about how to get started in real estate investing. That's awesome. And give everybody a teaser of uh, you know one, two, three points that you could share on uh, what could a young person that wants to get started begin building a portfolio of real estate holdings? You know, What are some of the first steps that they need to take in the early stages? Sure. First steps is getting educated. So finding someone who's done what you want to do and learning from them, whether it's a coach, a mentor, or online class, YouTube, YouTube University. We started learning on YouTube and watching these people flipping houses on YouTube. Then we graduated from there from hiring, reaching out to these folks and say, hey, can I hire you to coach me? Can I hire you to mentor me to show me exactly what you do so I can duplicate it you know, in my market? And then taking action. I'm not anyone special. Again, it's just following a formula, right? Just like in Vector Cutco, if you follow the script, you're going to get the desired results. Same thing in real estate. It's not rocket science. It's buy it low, sell it high, or, or rent it out. <laughs> um, but if I can do this, you know, Dan's done it. You know, if we can do this, anybody can do it. Yeah, I love how you started by educating yourself on YouTube. Like that's so cool. That's within the reach of anybody, anywhere, anytime to be able to start in that manner, learning the ropes, getting some ideas, finding out who are some people that are doing this, reaching out, connecting. You know, mm-hmm. finding a mentor and then being able to start out. And, you know, people who are working in Vector have a vehicle to be able to earn enough that they can save and accumulate to be able to have money to do this and Absolutely. to get things started. And uh, it's just, it's awesome to hear how you did that. It's so cool. And your wife, Crystal, is a full teammate all in everything that you're doing here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My wife, she's a serial entrepreneur. She graduated from Northeastern University. She spent about 15 years working in corporate management roles. But she started her first company when she was a teenager and she's owned multiple companies. So she's what we call the visionary in our partnership. And I'm the integrator from the book Traction, uh, which is a pivotal book that's helped us. But she's a visionary. She kind of casts a vision and sees where the puck's going. And I'm the one that integrates and puts all the details and the plans together. And we both execute them. Yeah, that's very cool. And as you look forward, do you feel that rentals is the avenue for you or buying and selling? Is it really a combination of both? Or like, what do you feel like is the the most lucrative avenue that you're going to pursue? That's a great question. I was just reading a book last night on um, Donald Trump and uh, his the, the Trump family, how they built their wealth. And Fred Trump, he built his wealth from rentals. Right? I think he amassed 6,500 rentals in his 90-year lifetime. And it was valued at almost a billion-dollar portfolio. Right, This is New York real estate. Yeah. And he was able to pass that on to his family. So that's my ultimate goal is to build a huge rental portfolio for the cash flow and be able to pass that on to my kids so they don't have to work for someone else. Right. I don't want them to be lazy, but I want them to have the freedom to do whatever their passion is, right? And my kids' kids and set up and build generational wealth. To get there, of course, you know, you got to make active income. So we also wholesale houses, we flip houses to make active income in order to purchase more cash flowing assets and passive income. Yeah. I know you live in North Carolina, there, uh, Tobacco Road area, Winston-Salem. Are you focused on North Carolina with your holdings? So we invest nationwide. That's the beautiful thing about this, Dan. So you got YouTube University with the internet and with being able to sign documents electronically. We have properties in Boston. We have rentals in Cleveland, Ohio. I've wholesaled houses in California, right? We did one in LA earlier this year, virtually from North Carolina. Wow. Um, we did a six-figure wholesale deal where we got a property in Boston under contract 
and we flipped it to another buyer. We never even saw the property in person until we actually closed on it. And we made 105,000 on that one virtual wholesale deal. So again, with technology and, and you know, in this day and age, you can do this virtually from anywhere in the country. That's amazing. That really is. So cool. Right. I noticed in your email, you had the tagline, it costs nothing to be polite. Yes. A play on your name, right? Yeah. I just want to say, I like that. I like that. Do you promote like the polite as like a part of like relationship building and connecting with people and like the demeanor and the whole like playing off your name in that way? I I just thought that was cool. Thank you. Yeah. I can't take credit for that. My wife, she, you know, again, the visionary, she comes up with all those smart ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so if uh, somebody's a young entrepreneur and they want to have similar success to you, maybe they're not yet ready to get into real estate investing, but they're an 18, 19-year-old Cutco sales rep or somebody that's just getting started in life. What do you feel like are a few bits of insight you would have for them on how they can move toward the kind of success that you're having? I would say stick with Cutco. Stick with Cutco as long as you can. Learn those skills. They truly are skills for life. I remember when I was a rep, you know, hearing that and seeing that. And 20 years later, it's proved true. Those skills I learned, how to build rapport, how to follow a system, how to strive for excellence. Those are, are skills and principles that have gotten me to where I am today. So become, strive to be the best Cutco sales rep you can. And then at some point, you're either going to move up in the company into management or go on and start your own business. But the skills you're learning as a Cutco sales rep are indispensable to be successful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I really appreciate hearing it. And I'm sure it'll resonate with a lot of the people who are working with the company now. Dedrick, the theme of our podcast is, is changing lives. And you know, as you look into the future, how do you aspire to change other people's lives through what you're doing? Just continuing to share. Like I said, we started sharing our journey on social media. I didn't really think you know, much of it until year or two in, we start getting messages and DMs from people like, hey, you, know, you and your wife, you inspire, you inspire us, you motivate me. And I was like, I was blown away. I'm like, man, I'm just sharing what we're doing, the ups, downs, failures, challenges. And it's literally, we've inspired thousands of people. So I just want to continue to do that, continue to grow, continue to learn and share my experiences in hopes of inspiring other people to become financially independent, right? Because once you're financially independent, you now own your time and you can truly focus on what you're passionate about and help other people. Yeah. Well, you have a great success story. I think it's just so inspiring for anyone to hear, right? How you have evolved from where you came from as a kid, growing up in a challenging environment, finding your path out of that and being able to begin to achieve success and then parlaying that into greater and greater success and having the story that you have today. I know that I I came across you and your wife's story through an online publication that was featuring you guys and just thought it was so cool to see that. And, and uh, we're, we're always proud of the success that our Cutco Vector alums have had. And, and in reaching out to you and hearing you credit a lot of your success to what you learn with Cutco, it's just, it's, uh, I'm grateful to hear it. And uh, just really grateful that you've shared your insights with our audience today. Awesome. Awesome. I really appreciate you having me, Dan. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Thank you. That was Dedrick Polite, everyone. What a great guy. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope uh, you liked getting to know Dedrick as well. Of course, cool to hear how education was his key to making it out of the inner city Boston where he grew up, that environment. I think of a Jim Ronism where he says that uh, life change 
starts with education, not with inspiration, right? Inspiration is important, but learning is one of the most important keys to beginning the process of transforming ourselves. It's learning, it's growth. Dedrick even talked about how when he stopped working on himself, he failed a few times. He struggled in his work. And so it's important to make sure that we're constantly learning and evolving in our skills. Dedrick talked about following the system at Cutco, right? I loved hearing that, how he struggled at first, but his manager, Dave, believed in him and he went field training and he started following a system. And I'm sure that's a big part of how he's succeeded in real estate investing as well is following and replicating a system that has been proven by many others to work. And then, you know, in terms of advice that he would have for people, he talked about the importance of learning whatever it is you want to do. If you want to get into real estate investing, buy a few books, start learning, go to YouTube University, get some guidance from someone who's doing what you want to be doing, and then start, right? Start on your journey. I think that regardless of how somebody wants to reach the point of financial independence, everyone should have the goal of reaching financial independence and that there are various ways to get there. But one thing that's common in the ways of getting there is that you can't be spending everything you're making. You have to be saving a big portion of what you're earning. And then you have to be parlaying that into something that's going to make you money. You want your money to make you money. And there are more than one way to do that. Real estate's not the only way. It comes with its pitfalls, but it has a lot of advantages as well. And it certainly is a good way to be able to do that. Like Dedrick, I have been able to accumulate a a pretty significant portfolio of uh, real estate holdings out here in California and Nevada that I have that pay me as well on a monthly basis. And so it is a, a great way to be able to accumulate wealth and just really cool to hear how Dedrick and his wife, Crystal, have been able to build that portfolio and what they're aspiring to do in the future is awesome. So cool to hear their success. Great to hear that Dedrick credits his Cutco experience as a big part of giving him the skills and the resources to be able to do well. If you liked this episode today, please share it out there with anybody else that you feel could benefit from it. Take a few seconds to rate and review the podcast, particularly if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, and certainly connect with me on social media. I am on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even once in a great while. But uh, look forward to connecting with you as well. And at changinglivespodcast.com, you can get a lot of resources that are available there from some of our guests. You can sign up to get an occasional email with some other resources as well. So please do that. Connect with me in those ways. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.